Chapter Seven of Lost Man's Lane by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The First Night. I spoke with a due regard to truth when I assured Miss Knollys that I entertained no fears at the prospect of sleeping apart from the rest of the family. I am a woman of courage, or so I have always believed, and at home occupy my second floor alone without the least apprehension. But there is a difference in these two abiding places, as I think you are ready by this time to acknowledge, and though I felt little of what is called fear, I certainly did not experience my usual satisfaction in the minute preparations with which I am accustomed to make myself comfortable for the night. There was a gloom both within and without the four bare walls between which I now found myself shut, which I would have been something less than human not to feel, and though I had no dread of being overcome by it, I was glad to add something to the cheer of the spot by opening my trunk and taking out a few of those little matters of personal equipment without which the brightest room looks barren and a den like this too desolate for habitation. Then I took a good look about me to see how I could obtain for myself some sense of security. The bed was light and could be pulled in front of the door. This was something. There was but one window and that was closely draped with some thick dark stuff very funereal in its appearance. Going to it, I pulled aside the thick folds and looked out. A mass of heavy foliage at once met my eye, obstructing the view of the sky and adding much to the lonesomeness of the situation. I let the curtain fall again and sat down in a chair to think. The shortness of the candle end with which I had been provided had struck me as significant, so significant that I had not allowed it to burn long after Miss Knollys had left me. If these girls, charming no doubt, but sly, had thought to shorten my watch by shortening my candle, I would give them no cause to think but that their ruse had been successful. The foresight which causes me to add a winter wrap to my stock of clothing, even when the weather is at the hottest, leads me to place a half-dozen or so of candles in my travelling trunk, and so I had only to open a little oblong box in the upper tray to have the means at my disposal of keeping a light all night. So far, so good. I had a light, but had I anything else in case William Knollys? But with this thought, Miss Knollys's look and reassuring words recurred to me. Whatever you may hear, if you hear anything, will have no reference to yourself and need not disturb you. This was comforting, certainly, from a selfish standpoint, but did it relieve my mind concerning others? Not knowing what to think of it all, and fully conscious that sleep would not visit me under existing circumstances, I finally made up my mind not to lie down till better assured that sleep on my part would be desirable. So, after making the various little arrangements already alluded to, I drew over my shoulders a comfortable shawl and set myself to listen for what I feared would be more than one dreary hour of this not-to-be-envied night. And here, just let me stop to mention that, carefully considered as all my precautions were, 
I had forgotten one thing upon leaving home, which at this minute made me very nearly miserable. I had not included among my effects the alcohol lamp and all the other private and particular conveniences which I possess for making tea in my own apartment. Had I but had them with me, and had I been able to make and sip a cup of my own delicious tea through the ordeal of listening for whatever sounds might come to disturb the midnight stillness of this house, what relief it would have been to my spirits, and in what a different light I might have regarded Mr. Grice and the mission with which I had been entrusted. But I not only lacked this element of comfort, but the satisfaction of thinking that it was any one's fault but my own. Lena had laid her hand on that teapot, but I had shaken my head, fearing that the sight of it might offend the eyes of my young hostesses. But I had not calculated upon being put in a remote corner like this, of a house large enough to accommodate a dozen families, and if ever I travel again. But this is a matter personal to Amelia Butterworth, and of no interest to you. I will not inflict my little foibles upon you again. Eleven o'clock came and went. I had heard no sound. Twelve, and I began to think that all was not quite so still as before, that I certainly could hear now and then faint noises, as of a door creaking on its hinges, or the smothered sound of stealthily moving feet. Yet all was so far from being distinct, that for some time I hesitated to acknowledge to myself that anything could be going on in the house, which was not to be looked for in a home professing to be simply the abode of a decent young man and two very quiet-appearing young ladies. And even after the noises and whispering had increased to such an extent that I could even distinguish the sullen tones of the brother from the softer and more carefully modulated accents of Lucetta and her sister, I found myself ready to explain the matter by any conjecture short of that which involved these delicate young ladies in any scheme of secret wickedness. But when I found there was likely to be no diminution in the various noises and movements that were taking place in the front of the house, and that only something much out of the ordinary could account for so much disturbance in a country home so long after midnight, I decided that only a person insensible to all sight and sound could be expected to remain asleep under such circumstances, and that I would be perfectly justified in their eyes in opening my door and taking a peep down the corridor. So without further ado, I drew my bed aside and glanced out. All was perfectly dark and silent in the great house. The only light visible came from the candle burning in the room behind me, and as for sound, it was almost too still. It was the stillness of intent, rather than that of natural repose. This was so unexpected, that for an instant I stood baffled and wondering. Then my nose went up, and I laughed quietly to myself. I could see nothing, and I could hear nothing. But Amelia Butterworth, like most of her kind, boasts of more than two senses, and happily there was something to smell. A quickly blown-out candle leaves a witness behind it to sensitive nostrils like mine, 
and this witness assured me that the darkness was deceptive someone had just passed the head of my corridor with a light and because the light was extinguished it did not follow that the person who held it was far away indeed i thought that now i heard a palpitating breath hum i cried aloud but as if in unconscious communion with myself it is not often i have so vivid a dream i was sure that i heard steps in the hall i fear i'm growing nervous nothing moved no one answered me miss knollys i called firmly no reply lucetta dear i thought this appeal would go unanswered also but when i raised my voice for the third time a sudden rushing sound took place down the corridor and lucetta's excited figure fully dressed appeared in the faint circle of light caused by my now rapidly waning candle miss butterworth what is the matter she asked making as if she would draw me into my room a proceeding which i took good care she should not succeed in giving a glance at her dress which was the same she had worn at the supper table i laughingly retorted isn't that a question i might better ask you it is two o'clock by my watch and you for all your apparent delicacy are still up what does it mean my dear have i put you out so completely by my coming that none of you can sleep her eyes which had fallen before mine quickly looked up i am sorry she began flushing and trying to take a peep into my room possibly to see if i had been to bed we did not mean to disturb you but but oh miss butterworth pray excuse our makeshifts and our poverty we wished to fix up another room for you and were ashamed to have you see how little we had to do it with so we were moving some things out of our own room to-night and here her voice broke and she burst into an almost uncontrollable flood of tears don't she entreated don't as quite thoroughly ashamed i began to utter some excuses i shall be all right in a moment i am used to humiliations only and her whole body seemed to join in the plea it trembled so do not i pray speak quite so loud my brother is more sensitive than even Lorene and myself about these things and if he should hear here a suppressed oath from way down the hall assured me that he did hear but i gave no sign of my recognition of this fact and lucetta added quickly he would not forgive us for our carelessness in waking you he is rough sometimes but so good at heart so good this with the other small matter i have just mentioned caused a revulsion in my feelings he good i did not believe it yet her eyes showed no wavering when i interrogated them with mine and feeling that i had perhaps been doing them all an injustice and that what i had seen was as she evidently meant to intimate due to their efforts to make a sudden guest comfortable amid their poverty i put the best face i could on the matter and gave the poor pitiful pleading face a kiss i was startled to feel how cold her forehead was and more and more concerned loaded her down with such assurances of appreciation as came to my lips and sent her back to her own room 
with an injunction not to trouble herself any more about fixing up any other room for me. Only, I added, as her whole face showed relief, we will go to the locksmith tomorrow and get a key, and after tonight you will be kind enough to see that I have a cup of tea brought to my room just before I retire. I am no good without my cup of tea, my dear. What keeps other people awake makes me sleep. Oh, you shall have your tea, she cried, with an eagerness that was almost unnatural. And then, slipping from my grasp, she uttered another hasty apology for having roused me from my sleep and ran hastily back. I stretched out my arm for the candle guttering in my room and held it up to light her. She seemed to shrink at sight of its rays, and the last vision I had of her speeding figure showed me that same look of dread on her pallid features which had aroused my interest in our first interview. She may have explained why the three of them are up at this time of night, I muttered, but she has not explained why her every conversation is seasoned by an expression of fear. And thus brooding, I went back to my room, and pushing the bed again against the door, lay down upon it, and out of sheer chagrin fell fast asleep. End of chapter 7